There's a dangerous movement in evangelicalism known as the New Apostolic Reformation, and they literally claim that in, well, in the past few decades, God has restored apostles and prophets to the church. Chris Rosebro talking about his presentation at this summer's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. In my presentation, I'll be making the case against modern-day apostles and prophets. As part of the presentation, we'll be talking about who's teaching this ecclesiology, the inherent dangers of it, but also what's at the root of it, and that is a false understanding of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can meet and hear Chris Rosebro making the case against modern-day prophets and apostles Friday, June 9th and Saturday, June 10th at the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference in Collinsville, Illinois. For more information, visit issuesetc.org or call 618-223-8385. The Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. God requires child sacrifice. One of the narratives about God is that because of sin, God required child sacrifice to appease a sense of righteous indignation and the fury of holiness, Jesus being the ultimate child sacrifice. But we know intuitively that such a thought is wrong, desperately wrong. That's William Paul Young, author of The Shack, reading from his recently released book, Lies We Believe About God. Of course, The Shack was a bestseller and has recently been released as a film. What is the theology of the author of The Shack, and what does it tell us about, well, a lot of Christians are buying into The Shack as a story that really kind of upholds good Christian values. Welcome back to Issues Etc. We're going to be talking with Chris Rosebro for the next half hour or so, this week in Pop American Christianity, about the theology of William Paul Young, the author of The Shack. Chris Rosebro is a regular guest. He's pastor of Kunstfinger Lutheran Church in Oslo, Minnesota, and host of a daily internet talk show called Fighting for the Faith. Chris, welcome back. Thanks for having me back, Todd. Is William Paul Young a good example of biblical orthodox theology? No, actually, William Paul Young is a guy who, if you were paying attention 10 years ago, he was strongly promoted by the emergent church, and he was one of these guys who was uh, flirting with post-modernity. And, uh, and so he's kind of a holdover from the whole emergent church movement, and uh, his theology is thoroughgoingly influenced in a bad way by, uh, by post-modernity. Do we see in his book from about 10 years ago and in the film that's been made from it, do we see essentially this man's theology at work, how he thinks God is? Yes, absolutely. And I would say that uh, the theology in the shack is absolutely 100% consistent with the book that just came out this week, Lies That We Believe About God. The one thing, though, is that the new book, Lies We Believe About God, is not a fictional work. It is it is nonfiction, and it it reads like a theological treatise. And uh, you know, I think there's like 26 different chapters in it. I've been working my way through the book, and one of the things that I think is very fascinating is that for the past decade, since the the book The Shack came out, people have been saying that William Paul Young is a guy who denies the doctrine of original sin. This is a fellow who believes in universal salvation. This guy hates, and I mean hates, the doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement. And all of that can be gleaned if, uh, just by a careful reading of the shack. And, uh, and he's been quite evasive 
Um, and many of his defenders have said that those charges against him were not actually correct. Well, with the uh, the release of his new book, and I think it's fascinating that it coincided with the uh, release of the movie version of The Shack, you can put all of this to rest. And uh, and the nice thing is is that the audio version of it, he reads his own book, so you get to hear his own theology and his own words, and uh, it is it is absolutely it's not even far from uh like orthodox christianity it is diametrically opposed to orthodox christianity that's the only way i can describe it with about 30 seconds just introduce us to william paul young so uh, william paul young is the son of a missionary and he is the author of the shack and uh th- this is a fellow who, again, he embraces post-modernity, and The Shack was really a book written to kind of explain his ideas regarding God to his kids, and was self-published in its early iterations, and then was eventually picked up by a larger publishing house. But uh, this is a fellow who has had a profound influence on many evangelicals, and many people believe that The Shack is uh, is a faithful representation of uh, of the God of Scriptures when it's far, far, far from it. Pastor Chris Rosebro is our guest. It's This Week in Pop American Christianity. We'll spend the next half hour with him talking about the theology of William Paul Young, the author of The Shack, and going along with it, the almost complete lack of theological discernment in evangelicalism. Stay tuned. Providing artillery support. For the church militant on the front lines, you're listening to Issues Etc. Your pastor has been called to shepherd you as a member of Christ's flock. Doxology offers an innovative program of advanced study retreats where your pastor can be refreshed, renewed, and refocused. Find out more at doxology.us. Many pastors report that doxology has been one of the most valuable learning experiences since seminary. Doxology, the Lutheran Center for Spiritual Care and Counsel. Doxology.us. Doxology.us. Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois, is happy to support the Christ-centered, cross-focused ministry of Issues Etc. Join us for worship, Bible classes, youth ministry, and other opportunities to grow in Christ. We have a Christian day school for children in preschool to eighth grade. We are located at 1300 Beltline Road, Call us at 618-344-3151 or visit www.goodshepherdcollinsville.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Chris Rosebro is our guest. It's This Week in Pop American Christianity Today, the theology of the author of The Shack, William Paul Young, Pastor Chris Roseworth, pastor of Consfinger Lutheran Church in Oslo, Minnesota, and host of the daily internet talk show called Fighting for the Faith. So, Chris, we're going to hear the theology straight from the horse's mouth, as I like to say here. And you sent something before the break that I think needs a little explanation for those of us with a shorter memory. You said that he was uh, kind of riding the wave of emergent Christianity or the emergent church. How would you explain what that is with respect to William Paul Young? Um, the emergent church movement itself was uh, designed on purpose to be a blending of Christianity and post-modernity 
with the hopes of reaching the postmodern generation. And there were several books that really kind of sparked uh, the interest and kind of rode the wave of the emergent church movement and its focus on postmodernity. And William Paul Young's The Shack is one of them. Um, and postmodernity is uh, it, it's basically an epistemology. It's how you know what you know that is extremely irrational and uh, doesn't believe in absolute truth, um, but uh, truth is something that is experienced by an individual as he's in uh, conversation within community. It's kind of a long discussion, but uh, needless to say that uh, Christianity and postmodernity are at odds with each other and are not fundamentally compatible. And, and we should say that while some held out hope that the emergent movement in Christianity was kind of a really healthy reaction to both evangelicalism and liberalism, it very quickly proved to be kind of the worst of both, didn't it? Yeah, no, it really did. Um, there was a kind of a, a, a deadlock that came between Christianity and modernistic liberalism, which denied the existence of miracles and things like that. So that was a rationalistic approach to epistemology. Uh, Post-modernity had some wonderful critiques of modernity, but you didn't want to get in that fight because uh, its solution was even worse than the solutions of uh, rationalistic modernity. Uh, so, yeah, it's it total train wreck is the best way I can describe it. What are we going to hear first? From, All right. uh, from William Paul Young. First off, we are going to hear William Paul Young literally deny the doctrine of original sin, and we're going to need to take a little bit of time to unpack how he does it, not just what he says, but how he goes about doing it. God is good. I am not. This lie is huge, and it is devastating. So why is it so largely believed? Many of us believe that God sees us all as failures, wretches who are utterly depraved. We've written songs to reinforce our assumptions, penning lyrics about our own ugliness and separation. We think, when I hate myself, am I not simply agreeing with God? If we took the time to listen to one another's stories, we would discover that most of us have something in common. Shame is the centerpiece of our self-appraisements. But we didn't get there alone. Some of us heard a constant barrage reinforcing this lie. You are worthless. You are stupid. You are not valuable. You're just dumb. I hate you. Why can't you? You have made my life miserable. You're trash. You are damaged goods. Does God agree with how I see myself and what others have told me about who I am at the core of my being? Does anything that is not good originate in God? No. Are we still image bearers made in the image of God? Yes, we are. God, who is only good, creates only good, very good. Yes, we have crippled eyes, but not a core of ungoodness. We are true and right, but often ignorant and stupid, acting out of the pain of our wrong-headedness, hurting ourselves, others, and even all creation. Blind, not depraved, is our condition. Remember, God cannot become anything that is evil or inherently bad. And God became human. 
I am fundamentally good because I am created in Christ as an expression of God, an image bearer, imago Dei. See Ephesians 2, verse 10. Chris, uh, I'm glad you're alongside to take this stuff apart because uh, what he did there was very clever indeed. Yep. And a lot of people would have heard that and said, wait a minute, I think he just proved that our real problem is we don't know how good we are. <laughs> yeah, that kind of sounds like it. it. So we're blind to just how good we are is the problem of humanity. Um, but I, I want to note how he did what he did. So he begins by talking about depravity, okay, and how we have hymns about this. This is what we Lutherans call the doctrine of original sin. And then he slips into what's called a straw man argument, where he talks about how we engage in self-loathing or hating yourself. And then he gives examples of, like, maybe talk that you heard from an abusive parent, how you're worthless, you'll never amount to anything, as if somehow that is synonymous with depravity. And then, rather than going to a biblical text, and this is the important part, he engages in creating a logical syllogism. He says, listen, you know, does anything that's not good originate with God? Well, of course not. And you originate from God and Jesus became flesh. So therefore, our problem, ergo, must be that we are good, but we're just blind to how good we are. And this is not how the biblical theology is done. And so what William Paul Young in, is engaging in is a form of, and I'm going to use a term that Francis Pieper uh, discusses in his, uh, in his systematic theology. This is rationalistic enthusiasm. And let me explain what that is. Enthusiasm is God within ism, all right? And oftentimes when we think of enthusiasts, we think of like charismatics or Pentecostals, people who believe that they're hearing the voice of God from within side of them. And uh, there's that that's absolutely true. But enthusiasm takes on two varieties. One is your emotions. You believe your emotions and feelings are the voice of God. And the second is a rationalistic enthusiasm where your thoughts you believe are actually on par with the thoughts of God or even above the Scripture. So rather than engaging in a meaningful conversation about what Scripture says regarding our condition as human beings, he instead plays the game, and i got to step on some toes here, he plays the game that a lot of Calvinists play, and that is, is that he builds a logical syllogism to create a theology. But that's not how biblical doctrine and theology is is done. In fact, uh, the way that you know, we talk about it, the, the Latin phrase is quad non est biblicum, non est theologicum. That means if it is not biblical, it is not theology. And so what he just did there was not give us a biblical doctrine. He gave us a logical syllogism with a starting point somewhere in his mind. And this tells us a lot about William Paul Young. It tells us nothing about what Scripture reveals regarding the human condition. Now, one of the arguments he put forth very quickly, but I think with a lot of people, they would have just bought right into it. He said, look, um, not only does nothing evil originate with God, as you said, that was the previous argument, but he said, well, God became human, so human, human beings cannot be wicked or evil, or I guess in my terms, fallen. How would you respond to that? 
Well, he's uh, he, he's not carefully distinguishing categories. When we talk about Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, I mean, it's absolutely true that Jesus is incarnation, that he was like us in every respect, as Scripture says, but was without sin. So Jesus is a lot like Adam. In fact, Romans uh, makes it clear that Jesus is the second Adam, so he is without sin. But when we talk about humans who are descendant from Adam and Eve, and particularly the the two of them together, then you know we're talking about people who Scripture describes as in Ephesians two one that you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and we were by nature. This is how Scripture says we were by nature children of wrath. And so Scripture reveals that after the fall, and Romans 5 does a very good job of explaining how this all works, that because the one man sinned, Adam, we were all made to be sinners. Jesus Christ is in a different category than we are in the sense that he is not uh, he is not sinful by nature, and he is the seed of the woman, not the seed of a man and a woman. So he is the virgin-born Son of God, yet he is like us in every respect except for without sin. So what William Paul Young is not doing is carefully walking through what Scripture says. He is basically engaging in category errors in order to obliterate what Scripture clearly says regarding the human uh, condition, uh, and that is every one of us. We were born uh, dead in trespasses and sins. Even the psalmist, David, says, In sin did my mother conceive me, and that's what is true about all of us. And so Jesus, who is God in human flesh, is in a, in a, in a slightly different category than we are, although he is just as human as we are. So what's coming up in this next cut from the author of The Shack? Okay, so moving from there, William Paul Young does something that I think puts him in a totally different category. He's not just a false teacher. I would say he's a heretic. He's going to literally explain to us what he believes the gospel is, but his gospel has nothing to do with the actual gospel. So what is the good news? What is the gospel? The good news is not that Jesus has opened up the possibility of salvation and you have been invited to receive Jesus into your life. The gospel is that Jesus has already included you into his life, into his relationship with God the Father, and into his anointing in the Holy Spirit. The good news is that Jesus did this without your vote. And whether you believe it or not, won't make it any less or more true. What or who saves me? Either God did in Jesus, or I save myself. If in any way I participate in the completed act of salvation accomplished in Jesus, then my part is what actually saves me. Saving faith is not our faith, but the faith of Jesus. God does not wait for my choice and then save me. God has acted decisively and universally for all humankind. Now, our daily choice is to either grow and participate in that reality or continue to live in the blindness of our own independence. 
Are you suggesting that everyone is saved? That you believe in universal salvation? That is exactly what I am saying. This is really good news. It has been blowing people's minds for centuries now. So much so that we often overcomplicate it and get it wrong. Here's the truth. Every person who has ever been conceived was included in the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. When Jesus was lifted up, God dragged all human beings to himself. John 12, 32. Jesus is the Savior of all humankind, especially believers. 1 Timothy 4.10 Further, every single human being is in Christ. John 1.3 And Christ is in them and Christ is in the Father. John 14.20 When Christ, the Creator in whom the cosmos was created, died, we all died. When Christ rose, we rose. 2 Corinthians 5. Chris, you used the term uh, heretic before, and I think this illustrates exactly why that term is reserved for those whose preaching is so close to the truth, but through grievous error actually is one big fat lie. Uh, Take it apart for us. All right. So we're going to need to make a distinction here. Uh, the Calvinists are probably going to pounce on him immediately and say, see, he's a universalist, and they'll try to lump us Lutherans in, too, because the the way he's arguing for, and he calls it universal salvation, is he goes to the fact that Christ's death was for the sins of the world, and he extrapolates from that that therefore everybody is saved. But we would say, oh, on contraire, although we agree that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what the, John the Baptist said about him. And that uh, he died for everybody. We call that objective universal justification. But that does not in any way, shape, or form mean that everybody is saved. And so there is a second part to this, and we we make the distinction between universal objective justification, Christ's atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world, and subjective justification, which is literally, if you would, delivered via the means of grace, through the preaching of the word and through baptism. And the other thing he did, he made it very clear that Jesus has included you in what he's done, and that the problem he solved is our persistent blindness, but then he does something rather fascinating. He includes the world in all of the things that are true about Christians who have been baptized into Christ. It is not true that the whole world is in Christ in, in his death and resurrection. That's not quite the right way of putting it, but when we are baptized, we have been baptized into Christ's death and his resurrection. And so he does not understand the means of grace. He does not carefully make a distinction between objective and subjective justification. His gospel is a totally different gospel, and he takes baptismal language that is true about Christians and applies it universally to those who are uh, who are unregenerate. And you know, all I would need to do is uh, quote a just like one passage that I think would make the point, and it's the tail end of the Gospel of John, chapter 3, and here's what it says, verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. 
Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So we've got a problem. I've already got one passage, and I can produce more like it, that make make it clear that those who persist in sin and unbelief, that they remain under the wrath of God, and they are not saved. Although Christ has bled and died for them, they're, they're on their way to hell. And when Jesus returns in glory, as he describes in uh, the, the parable of the sheep and the goats, he does say to the goats, you know, away with you, you know, into the fires of hell, you know, prepared for the devil and all of his angels. So we've got a problem. William Young teaches universal salvation. Scripture teaches that not everyone is saved. We're talking about the theology of William Paul Young, author of The Shack. During this week in Pop American Christianity, Pastor Chris Rosebro is our guest. He's pastor of Consfinger Lutheran Church in Oslo, Minnesota, and host of a daily internet talk show called Fighting for the Faith. You can meet and hear Chris making the case against modern-day prophets and apostles at our Summer Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference Friday, June the 9th and Saturday, June the 10th in Collinsville, Illinois, about 15 miles east of St. Louis. Registration for the conference is $120. That includes three meals. You'll find a list of the speakers and registration information at issuesetc.org or call 618-223-8385, 618-223-8385. The Summer Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference June 9th and 10th in Collinsville, Illinois. When we come back, Why does he want to do this? Deny both original sin and that some are not saved. What's up? We'll answer that question with Chris Rosebro after this. At Concordia University, Irvine, you can pursue advanced theological study for academic, professional, or personal development. Concordia's Master of Arts in Theology program is grounded in the truth of Scripture and insights from the Lutheran Confessions. Courses are taught online and at intensive on-campus sessions in the summer. Apologetics, Christian education leadership, and Reformation studies are just a few of the emphases offered. For more information, Visit cui.edu slash theology. LCMS Rural and Small Town Mission exists to support and encourage congregations in rural and small town settings. In partnership with LCMS districts, RSTM is uniquely positioned to make a major impact in revitalization support, community engagement and outreach training, congregational partnership development, and worker support through providing and developing resources geared specifically to rural and small town congregations, Check us out at lcms.org front slash rstm or give us a call at our office. We're here to help. Real Reformation Radio. You're listening to Issues Etc. The Christian faith is a gift of God's grace. The Christian life is a gift of God's grace. We live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Pastor Peter Bender talking about his presentation at this summer's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. And that means that our Lutheran piety is also a gift. All too often we see it as another work of the law, something that we must do. Instead, Christ meets us there with his word and spirit. And in our daily devotional life, he teaches us what it is to live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. You can meet and hear Pastor Peter Bender making the case for Lutheran piety Friday, June 9th and Saturday, June 10th at the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference 
in Collinsville, Illinois. For more information, visit issuesetc.org or call 618-223-8385. The Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. He knew exactly what Planned Parenthood was going to say, but he's revealed them fully in terms of their murderous intention and commitment to abortion. How we confess God shapes the way that we pray. When we confess that God is the maker of heaven and earth, then that shapes the way we pray. They're not saying that, you know, we want tea therapy for all our girls, too. They're just saying, you know, there's, there's something not right about this. He said that if any judge has never ruled against his own personal policy preferences, that is a bad judge. In about 15 minutes, we'll play Issues Etc. Soundbite of the Week. The entire soundbites that you heard there only in part, you'll listen, then you'll give us a call, one 623 myie Send us an email, org, a tweet at issuesetc, or vote at our Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash issuesetc. Your opportunity to win the LPR bundle package, and I have Issues t-shirt, and Issues Etc. travel mug, pen, bumper sticker, and notepad to the listener with the best vote for Issues Etc. soundbite of the week in about 15 minutes. In the meantime, it's This Week in Pop American Christianity. We're talking about the theology of William Paul Young, author of The Shack. Pastor Chris Rosebro is our guest. What's next from William Paul Young? Um, he's going to straight out attack a Christ's vicarious penal substitutionary atonement and uh, liken it to child sacrifice. Chapter 19. God requires child sacrifice. One of the narratives about God is that because of sin, God required child sacrifice to appease a sense of righteous indignation and the fury of holiness. Jesus being the ultimate child sacrifice. But we know intuitively that such a thought is wrong, desperately wrong. It is the undeniably overt declaration of Hebrew scriptures that God hates child sacrifice and is opposed to it in any form. But one of the stories that seem to justify it is that of Abraham and the almost sacrifice of his son Isaac. The larger context is a series of missteps on the part of Abraham, in which he tries to help God out of one predicament after another, and each time he helps, disaster results, and with each misfortune, God submits to Abraham's choices and creatively works to build something good out of the rubble. Abraham has already put Ishmael out of the home, which greatly grieved both God and Abraham. And then God asks Abraham to put out Isaac as well, Permanently, Abraham is broken. No more arguing as he did regarding his nephew Lot. No more lying as with King Abimelech. No more coming up with his own provision as an answer to the impossible. It seemed that this God might not be any different than all the others after all. The only religion that Abraham had known in Ur was appeasement. In fact, Every god on the planet at that time required sacrifice in order to either pay for poor performance or to move the hand of a deity to act on one's behalf. Read again the story of Abraham and Isaac. This is not a story about God requiring child sacrifice, but rather the opposite. 
The point of the story is that God will step into our darkness and speak our language in order to reveal something we didn't know, that this God does not require child sacrifice. Abraham named the place, The Lord Will Provide. And to this day it is said, On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Genesis 22.14 So, if we, the human race, require a sacrifice, God will provide himself. All right, Chris. Subtle, subtle stuff. It certainly is. How are you going to both explain that? I got an idea, but I'm going to hold it back for a minute. Um, how are you going to explain how he very cleverly denied the fact that Jesus' death is, in fact, the payment for the sins of the world? Well, he did it by avoiding the texts that actually talk about what Christ did on the cross. And uh, in theology, not only do we need to get our theology straight from Scripture, but oftentimes we need to find the clearest passage. Uh, our Lutheran theologues would describe this as what's called the Cetes Doctrinae, the, uh, the seed of the doctrine. It's the seed of it. And so the clearest passages say something quite different than what he's doing, because he's going to a historical narrative, the story of of Abraham and Isaac. And although Christ is prefigured in it in type and shadow, you don't get explicit talk in there as far as explaining to us what Christ accomplished on the cross. I would go to Isaiah 53. And uh, starting at verse 4, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Or Second Corinthians chapter 5, I'll start at verse 20. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake God made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, or 1 Corinthians 15 that says Christ died for our sins. Over and again, the clear witness of Scripture is that Christ is an atoning, propitiatory sacrifice for our sins, that God laid on him our iniquity, and he was punished as the sinner. This is almost the universal way in which the apostles describe Christ's death on the cross. And by going to Genesis 22, what uh, Paul Young was doing was avoiding what the clear passages say, because the clear passages explicitly say the exact opposite of what he's saying, and by him characterizing Christ's death as child sacrifice, that is a, a straw man and a mischaracterization of Jesus' death. So I think we can agree with him and say God never required child sacrifice ever, but what he did require was that the sinner die. It's that yeah. simple. The wages of sin is death, and sin brings death. If, uh, Of course, I'm sure that, that uh, William Young would disagree with that, but... It, the only question is who's going to die. And what we see at the cross, Chris, is not child sacrifice, but self-sacrifice. Right. God himself poured himself out, literally, like became nothing and was obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so, I mean, I would point, you know, again to maybe like Philippians chapter 2 in this regard. And Scripture makes it clear that uh, Christ laid down his life willingly. And so th this is God himself 
taking our sin upon himself and propitiating his own wrath on our behalf so that we can be, even as Scripture says, reconciled to God, which means if we're if we need to be reconciled, then our relationship has been broken and Christ himself in his death on the cross reconciles us to the Father by, well, satisfying his justice and, uh, and you know, drinking to the dregs, I like to say, that Christ drank to the dregs the full cup of the fury of the wrath of God so that we can have eternal life, forgiveness, and salvation. And, uh, and William Paul Young would take issue with all of that language, but I would note that in taking issue with all of that, he's taking issue with what Scripture says, not my own personal theology. I can see, Chris, that with the release of the book, The Shack, which a lot of Christians read and were like, well, at least it got God in it, so that's good. At least it had Jesus in it, so that's good. And I don't know about all that Trinity stuff because my pastor never talks about it. The release of the film kind of puts an extra dimension into it. And uh, the same Christians are saying, wow, you know, the guy who wrote The Shack also wrote this book about the, the lies that we tell about God. Maybe we should make it our Bible study. What would you say to such a Christian? Uh, that, that don't do that. Um, William Paul Young is a false teacher and a heretic, and sound doctrine matters. He's also an idolater. The God that he believes in is not the God of Scripture, although he says he believes in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The, the, what he means by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and what he's done for us, totally different than what Scripture says. And the Apostle Paul in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11 makes it explicitly clear that those who come to us and bring a different Jesus, a different God, a different spirit, and a different gospel, that, uh, that their end is eternity in the lake of fire. And uh, we are not to listen to them. We are to be absolutely intolerant of those who bring us a different theology than the theology and doctrine of Scripture. And William Paul Young is an extremely dangerous, subtle Bible twister who's not bringing to you what Scripture says. He's bringing to you a theology crafted in his own heart, and that heart is just black as wicked as it gets. Chris, give us your show notes for tonight's Fighting for the Faith. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about rightly understanding the kingdom of God. It's a phrase that often gets uh, abused, and uh, we'll give an example from the NAR of how they abuse that term and uh, what actually Scripture reveals regarding uh, rightly understanding what is the kingdom. You can listen to Chris Rosebro and Fighting for the Faith in about a half hour, right after the live broadcast of Issues Etc. at PirateChristian.com. Pastor Chris Rosebro is pastor of Consfinger Lutheran Church in Oslo, Minnesota, and host of the Internet talk show called Fighting for the Faith. Chris, thank you very much for being our guest. Thank you, Todd. Issues Etc. Soundbite of the Week is on the other side of the break. We're going to play four soundbites for you that we have brought together from this week's Issues Etc. audio. After you've heard those soundbites, you give us a call, 1-877-623-6943. Send us an email, talkback at issuesetc.org, a tweet at issuesetc, or go to our Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash issuesetc, and vote for Soundbite of the Week. We'll start right after the break. If you're like me, you remember when education was about the basic skills of reading, writing, and arithmetic, and about reading great literature and history that gave our kids models of what it is to be a good person. Memoria Press's classical Christian curriculum is bringing this kind of education back. 
Get $5 off your next order by using the coupon code LPR. For more information, go to memoriapress.com. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Many Lutheran pastors outside of the U.S. receive little or no seminary education. Luther Academy provides theological triage through conferences, books, and journals. Help support Luther Academy by making a tax-deductible donation at lutheracademy.com or call 260-452-2211. Serving Lutheran pastors to the ends of the earth, Luther Academy, 260-452-2211 or lutheracademy.com. No gimmicks, no shticks. Just straightforward preaching and teaching in accord with Scripture and the Lutheran Confessions. By the book Liturgy, right from the hymnal. No glitz, just Christ crucified for sinners like us. We're Grace Lutheran Church in Racine, Wisconsin. Come receive God's gifts with us. Find out more about us at Grace Lutheran Racine, that's all one word, dot net. And like you, we're proud supporters of Issues Etc. Dr. Anthony Eslin will be speaking on the topic of imagination and education at the second annual Wittenberg Academy Family Retreat, which will be held at Camp Okaboji in Milford, Iowa on April 27th through the 29th, 2017. Join us and be immersed in God's Word, thoughtful discussions, and family fun. For more information or to register, visit www.wittenbergacademy.org and click on the registration tab. More topics, more guests. More Jesus. You're listening to Issues Etc. It is the greatest adventure you could ever possibly imagine. It's demanding, it's hard, it's challenging, and what a blessing it is. Dr. Larry Rast, president of Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, on why a man should consider the vocation of pastor. And it is an incredible blessing to be honored with the opportunity to work with these incredible young men uh, and older men uh, as well, who uh, are committing themselves to the proclamation of God's Word, the right distinction of law and gospel, and to uh, take the good news of Jesus Christ into all the world. You can find out more about studying for the pastoral ministry at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, at ctsfw.edu, or call 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, forming servants in Jesus Christ who teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. 